The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Man, I'm, I am excited to be here. I'm excited about this morning. And uh, if you missed Sunday and Monday night, um, I was, man, it was just awesome. And so I love being here, love being with you guys, and loved what we saw. And I think there's a lot of momentum from that. Um, yesterday in our men's breakfast, um, we, we got close. Um, we had, I think the count was like 70 men together for breakfast. And so we're going um, gonna to find a bigger place to make that happen. So we... we did some measuring in the lobby. We can get some more tables and chairs, and we can get more dudes in the lobby. And uh, so it's going to be awesome. I love that. I love the momentum. That I feel like there's just this great momentum happening um, in ministry, not just the church, but in ministry. And I'm excited about it because you guys have had a lot of great ideas that God has put on your heart, and God's been been showing you some things. And I'm I'm here to help you get those things going, and I look, look forward to that. Um, today, we're starting a, a long journey through the book of Luke. Luke's one of the longest gospels, if not the longest gospel, um, and so we're going to be going through Luke, and so if you got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 1, uh, and we've got a lot of, a lot of work to do to kind of lay this, this foundation. Uh, we're gonna, what we're going to do with Luke is we're going to break it down into smaller series and we'll take some breaks every now and then because I, just, just to prepare you, um, Luke could take us about two years. Um, just being honest, man. Uh, I'm not going anywhere, uh, but uh, we'll break those down into smaller series. And uh, by the end of this, you're going to have a really uh, comprehensive study of Luke, but this, it, this isn't designed to replace your study time. So if you're looking for something to study, Luke is a, a great book. Uh, to get into. We're naming this first series Groundwork because what you're going to see in the first several chapters of the gospel is, is the groundwork that's laid for the ministry of Jesus. And the ministry that Jesus uh, came to, to engage in was reconciliation. So you're going to see a lot of groundwork happen in that. And uh, I want to give you some history in this. Um, Luke wrote this book, obviously. Um, his, he was a doctor. And so he probably wrote it in very bad handwriting. <laughs> That just hit me the other day. Thought I'd share that. But he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and he's writing this to someone named Theophilus. And Theophilus, a lot of the, the scholars and commentaries believe that he was a Roman um, uh, dignitary or Roman uh, citizen and, or an official because he would say most excellent. And what he's writing to is, is to give a detailed account of the life of Christ. And it's not that the other gospel writers didn't give a good detailed account, but they, they gave it from their perspective. And what Luke wanted to do was, let me give this to you in order as things happen, and we track along with the entire life and ministry of Jesus. And what we, what we see is that he's going to give more detail. Um, he may not spend as much time. He might not have some of the same stories or passages as other gospels, but he's going to give us a detail, and we're going to get into this. And, and here's, what, here's what I love about the, the gospel of Luke. Um, we have a lot of people at the creek that are new in faith or young in faith, and this is a great gospel um, to kind of springboard into a discipled life, into growing in that relationship with Christ and understanding more about who he is. Because Paul wrote, the, or uh, Luke wrote this, and he said this to Theophilus. He said, that you may have certainty 
that you may have certainty because I want you to know the things about Jesus. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about being an eyewitness um, to the things of God and what's going on in our life and what Luke is doing is he's gathered these eyewitness accounts and he's gathered the information and he says, I'm putting these together so you can have certainty about what was seen, so you can see it and you can experience it for yourself, so you can know who God is, know who Jesus is. And, and Luke traveled with Paul, the apostle Paul, and he, Luke also wrote the book of Acts and that, that's a continuation of his account, but I want us to get into this. So he starts Chapter one, verse one, here we go. I feel like this is like getting ready for takeoff, man. Um, Inasmuch as many have have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So he's, he's dedicating this book. He's getting into it. And now here we go. Verse, verse five. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. That's a theme in the Bible. I'm just telling you. you just, when you read the Bible, you're going to see a couple of things. Jesus is Lord, and God does incredible things with old barren people. I mean, that's just, it's, it's awesome. Uh, so God's never done with you. Um, don't ever give up. But uh, what, what's going on here? Let me, let me give you some, some background on this. Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth are, are from the priestly line because they're from the line of Aaron. Aaron was the, the priest. Uh, that originally God had called into the temple. And so they're of this, this lineage, and so they have responsibility in the temple. They're, they're of the priestly line of Israel. And, and I love what, what Luke writes is that they were righteous and obedient, and you've got to understand something about this time. Um, in this time, they were righteous and obedient when it was difficult, when, when God wasn't speaking. I mean, many of us go through times where like, I just don't hear God, I don't feel God. And, and, it's, and we go through those, those dry spells. This is, a, this is a dry time. There hadn't been prophecy for almost 400 years. The last time there was prophecy was in the book of Malachi. There's a 400-year span between the end of that and the beginning of the New Testament. And it says that they were still faithful, they were obedient, and they were, they were found blameless and righteous before God. So even when God's not speaking to you, you can still be righteous before God. Even when God's not speaking to you, you can still be obedient because he's given us enough in his word of, of where to go. I mean, it's kind of like we'll get some, some marching orders or we're like, we'll get to a certain point where we're like, I don't know where to go from here. Well, you've got enough information to keep going. And so Zachariah and Elizabeth are faithful in this responsibility. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So he would go on rotation to the temple and he would spend time at the temple. And so he was on a week rotation and he drew the lot to go in and burn the incense. Now to go in and burn the incense was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so he would be in that temple, in that place of the temple, Two times, in the morning and the afternoon, for the morning and evening sacrifice. 
And so he drew the lot, so he goes in. And I love that the people were praying for him as he goes in, because in the temple, when you, when you go in, if, God, if you got sin in you, man, God's done with you. So he goes in, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Exactly. If I see an angel come down beside of me, I don't care where I'm at. I'm just, just being honest with you. It's going to freak me out for a minute. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so what he's saying is that, that Zechariah, you, you, you're barren, you're, you're old, you don't have a son, but the Lord has heard your prayer. So there has been a prayer for a son. There has been a prayer for this, this blessing. And what God is saying through the, the angel Gabriel is that I've heard your prayer and you're going to have a son. But your son is not just going to be a son. He's going to be a prophet in the power of Elijah. Now, understand the weight of what he's hearing. There's been 400 years where there's been no prophetic voice of God. And now he's got an angel standing before him saying, your son, you're going to call him John, and he is going to be a prophet in the power of Elijah to prepare the hearts of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. Your son has an incredible responsibility. Your son has an incredible promise on his life. Zechariah, you have an incredible responsibility. You have an incredible promise on your life. And this, this no wine, no strong drink, anything like that, that's a Nazarite vow. He's saying, I want him set apart, I want him pure, and I've got a purpose for him. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. So the scene is, he's, he, he draws a lot. Once a lifetime opportunity. He goes into the temple to burn incense. Gabriel shows up, says, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. God's heard your prayers. Now, Zechariah looks at, really, the circumstances and says, uh, <laughs> how's this going to happen? Because things aren't happening. <laughs> I, you know, and, and I... I got to be honest with you, you know, I wrestled with this this week because, you know, Gabriel, it seems, it seems that the punishment to Zechariah was silence for his unbelief. But, but really, you think about it, it's a sign in his unbelief because Gabriel says, look, I, I've come to you from the throne of God. I stand in the presence of God. 
And we know this about God. His word is true. So when he sends an angel, the angel's not gonna speak a non-truth of God. And so he says, my words are true. And because of this, Zechariah, you're gonna remain silent. You're, you're gonna get to play a game. You're gonna play charades until the eighth day that your son is, a, is born. And he comes out of the temple and the people, you know, he's making, making signs. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what signs would be in Hebrew. I don't, I don't know. But they realize this, he's seen a vision in the temple. Now, think about this. For the people who see him come out, there's been no prophecy for 400 years. And they look at him and go, he's seen a vision. Now, these people want to know what the vision means. They want to, what did you experience? I'm like, You know, I don't know if it's drawing stick figures or something. They play the uh, rousing game of Pictionary after that, you know. I don't know. Somebody, there's always that guy at the temple's like, time, time. No, you didn't get it in time. Y'all know, y'all, some of y'all are like that. When you play those games, the timer runs out. You're just like, no, 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 no. Some people get it right at the buzzer. Tie goes to the runner, by the way. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, so here we go. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. I, I just, I, I like that because think about how long that week was. Because there wasn't, never mind, I can't go into that. Um, he was excited to get home. We'll just put it that way, okay? <laughs> he was excited to get home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my repro- reproach among people. So what you've got happening here is God laying the groundwork for Jesus to come into the world. And what he's doing is he's, he's appearing to Zechariah and saying, look, you're going to have a son. His name's John. And he's going to prepare the way for Christ. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And I love how God is intentional about the groundwork that he lays in our life, that he lays in, in humanity, that he lays in history. He's very intentional about everything he does. And God makes incredible promises. I, you know, there's over 8,000 promises in Scripture, and God has promises for us. And he, he's, he comes to, to Zechariah and says, there's a promise for you. And what you need to understand is God has a promise for you. And it may, it may not look different. You, you may not be getting ready to conceive and, and give birth to a, to a prophet that's gonna usher in the return of Jesus. Wouldn't that be the Antichrist trend? I don't think you'd want that one. <laughs> But God has an incredible purpose for your life, an incredible promise for your life. And and, and what I want us to spend our time thinking about and working through is how do we respond to those promises of God? Because um, none of us, at least that I know of, have had an angel come and visit us. And so even that doesn't make clear the promise. There's still doubt. There's still an element of something that even if an angel comes and speaks to us, there's still something that we're just like, our mind just doesn't fully wrap around that and our response doesn't fully reflect that. And so how do we respond to, the, to God's promises? Uh, I think, I think let's, let's look at this. I mean, faith, faith gives us a voice while unbelief silences us. And this doesn't mean that physically... Um, 
when we, have, when we deal with unbelief that God's gonna do something to us physically. But what I'm saying is that faith lets us speak those things that are not. I mean, faith speaks those things into existence that are not yet. That faith is the evidence of things unseen. And, and there's, there's things that we begin to, to speak to ourselves about faith. How do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we get faith by hearing the voice of God. We get faith by hearing God speak to us. The, the primary way is through the word of God. I mean, when people say, I just don't hear God speaking to me, are you, are you reading? Are you in the word? Because God is speaking don't just come to, come to hear on me on Sunday mornings and going, well, I'm just coming to hear God speak and, and that's all I got this week. You have the ability to hear God speak any moment you want to. And he speaks clearly through his word. And there's too many Christians that get lazy and sit on the sidelines and start pouting because I just don't hear anything from God. God just not doing anything in my life. Well, get in there and start reading some of the promises of God for your life. And when we, when we start doing this, we start hearing the voice of God. And so what happens is this faith begins to rise up in us and it gives us a, boy, a voice. See, when we read the promises of God in scripture, here's what happens. Faith says, I know. I know. But unbelief says, that's not true. Or unbelief gets us to the point of goes, well, maybe that's not for me. Maybe God's promise of provision for my life isn't for me. Maybe God's promise of uh, and uh, don't, don't build your own bridge spiritually here that God's promise is for you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I mean, you start thinking, well, well God has a promise that I should never go through any trials. Th- that's not truth. And you're listening to it, not the voice of God. You're listening to the voice of enemy because he's trying to set you up to be disappointed in God. Well, if God, if God loves you and has these promises for you, you wouldn't experience what you're experiencing. There's just not truth in that. Life is difficult. You don't have to read God's word very long to understand suffering is a reality in life. We will all go through suffering. It's gonna rain on the just and the unjust. It's gonna rain. We're gonna deal with stuff. And so don't don't create promises of God. Get in and learn the promises of God. And God says, look, when you're in the trial, I'll be faithful. When you're in the fire, think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When you're in the fire, he didn't promise to rescue us from the fire. He promised, I'll be with you in the fire. In the storm, the disciples in the boat, storm comes up, they're freaking out. They wake up Jesus like, we're about to die. Don't you care? Jesus didn't promise anything. He didn't promise to do anything. He calmed the storm. He doesn't promise to calm our storms. He promises his presence in the storm. And so we've got to realize this. Don't create promises for God. See, what happens is we, we come up with a wish list and we, we want God to promise us our wish list. I used to do that when I was a kid. I'd come up with my Christmas list. You know, you dropping hints, man. We didn't have the internet. It'd been so much easier. Oh my goodness. I'd spam my parents if that were the case. My kids do it to me. I get an email around November. Here's Abby's wish list. I'm like, <laughs> I know this game, child. But we start to create a wish list and want God to fulfill that as a promise list, and that's just not the case. 
Don't get into that. I mean, even the smallest faith can give us a voice. I, the story in Mark chapter 9, where the father brings his son who is mute. His, father, his son can't speak, and his son, he brings his son to Jesus, and he says he's, he's got a spirit in him that, that causes him to convulse and foam with the mouth and tries to throw him in the fire, tries to kill my son. And he comes to Jesus, he's like, if you can do anything. And Jesus looks at him and responds like, if, if I can do anything? Kind of like, do you know who you're talking to? And he says, I can do anything if you have enough faith. And I love the father's response in this. Immediately the father cried out to Jesus and he said, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. He's wrestling with this. He's like, Jesus, I believe you can do it, but I'm asking you to silence the voice inside of me that says you can't do it. When you're a Christian, it doesn't mean you don't ever wrestle with doubt. I wrestle with doubt. I wrestle with unbelief. And I have to cry out to God. I say, help me in my unbelief. Rise up the faith in me, God, to give me a voice in this so I don't just go silently in my unbelief. What I've learned when I start wrestling with unbelief and doubt is this, is, is, is I'm worried or I'm afraid. I begin to be afraid that maybe God's not going to take care of things the way I want them to be taken care of. You know, I, I start to worry about things and, and my, your mind will take this train of thought. Well, what if this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens? And all of a sudden, you're over here on this train of thought where you just got yourself wrapped up in a spiral. I, I don't think I'm the only one that deals with that. But what happens is when I, when I start to go down that trail, I need the voice of God to speak into my life. I need God to help me in my unbelief and my, my doubt to bring me back to reality to say I'm beginning to worry and that, that's an indicator of a lack of faith in God. And, and I just hear God say to me, do you trust me? Do you trust me with everything? I mean, do you trust me? The other th- so we respond in faith or we respond in unbelief. The other thing that we do is we get overwhelmed by our circumstances. I mean, think about the scene where, where Zechariah is in the temple and, and he's, he's praying, he's burning the incense and he's doing his spiritual duties, his his priestly duties, and all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up, and he's like, hey, Zechariah, your prayer's been heard. It's like, you start going through the thing, oh, what have I been praying for, <laughs> you know? I mean, sometimes when I'm in traffic, you know, I was like, oh, God, just kill me now. Is that the prayer that's been heard, <laughs> you know? I don't deal with traffic well. I don't know if you're like me, or, but I don't. And I'm just joking when I say that, but I'm like, God, I was just joking, right? You, you, you know the hearts of man, right? <laughs> I was just joking. So I started praying, God, just transport me home, you know, because it happened with Philip in Acts. You know, after he baptized the Ethiopian guy, he was gone, transported. I'm like, hey, would you just take this whole truck, put it in my driveway? That would be awesome. But we get overwhelmed by circumstance because he's doing his, his duty. And then he says, you're going to have a son. You're going to conceive a son. I mean, in a couple weeks, we're going to be dealing with Mary, and Mary's getting the news that you're, you're a virgin, and you're going to have a son without the conception with Joseph. 
And those circumstances can be a little overwhelming, but, but think about what he's dealing with. He says, you're going to conceive and have a son. And he starts thinking, he said, my circumstances of life aren't going, they don't indicate that that's going to happen. Now, there, there's, I mean, Elizabeth is barren and I'm old. And so he begins to let his circumstances disqualify him from the promise of God. What he starts doing is making excuses as to why he cannot be a recipient of the promises of God. God, I hear what you're promising, and that's great. I I love that, but I just don't see how that's going to happen. I mean, God's put promises. God God is releasing things in your life. I mean, some of you have already got things of ministry and things that you feel God leading you to do, and you're getting overwhelmed by your circumstances because you're like, God, I I love that. That's a great thing, but I just don't see how that's going to be a reality in my life. Maybe you're you're being overwhelmed by your past to disqualify you from your future. But either way, you're letting the things around you become that that disqualifier. I mean, your circumstances may not look like God's working. Like, God, I hear you, I like that, but man, I just don't see you, I don't see you doing anything with it. And some of you feel like you're just in that cul-de-sac. You're just going round and round and round. And God, I'm just doing the same thing. You, you get in this thing where, you know, I, I talk to people and that, that hate their job. And you just feel like you're going through that grind. I hate my job, I hate my job. Well, why do you stay there? Because I got to stay there because I, I, I do what I do so I can do the things I want to do. God, I, I'm just in this wheel, this hamster wheel. And, and God, I, just, I, I know you've got big plans, but I don't see the circumstances for me getting off of this wheel. And so what you've got to understand is God is always working. Let me, let me ask you this. What circumstances in your life are you allowing to shrink your faith? Because that's probably on your mind right now when you start thinking, man, the promises of God would be awesome, but, you know, because unbelief says that promise isn't for me. And we'll get into that, that mode of unbelief because we're letting the circumstances dictate what we can and can't do. And here's just what we have to understand when our, with our circumstances. It, your circumstances may be the platform for God to display his power. The circumstances of Zechariah and Elizabeth was the platform for God to display his power in his promise. But what, what, what I love about Zechariah and Elizabeth is through all this time, they're found obedient and righteous. And, and what I've learned is that, that God tends to, to do things in people's lives who are already busy doing things for God. They're actively waiting. So they're not just sitting there doing nothing, they're engaging in, with God and God says, I'm gonna do something. And look at David. David was in the field tending sheep. He was faithful in the field. Look at Elisha, he was plowing and he goes from plowing to preaching and, and there's, there, there is an importance and there's a benefit to staying faithful with the things of God. Keep plowing, keep tending the soil, keep planting you know, we're, we're, we're so focused on the harvest that we miss the work right in front of us. Be faithful with your hand to the plow. 
Because your circumstances mean right now, may mean right now that, that you're busy plowing. And that's dirty work, man. It's, it's hard work. It's just, you're, you're just breaking the ground. You're just turning it over. And you just keep, keep, keep focusing, keep staying faithful so that God can use that as the platform for his promise and to display his power. And, and then oftentimes we'll do what Elizabeth did. We hide the promise from others. So the promise of God comes, it's fulfilled in their life. I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth conceive. You know, he comes home, he's like, Elizabeth, you're not gonna believe what's happened. I'm gonna take you to Bennigan's tonight. And I'm gonna tell you, it's date night, okay? However date nights went. But they conceive, and what's interesting, it says that she kept it hidden for five months. And I spent time like asking God, why? I mean, and all I can do is speculate. But maybe, maybe some of the speculation would be, um, you know, they're out in public and somebody goes, hey, have you seen Elizabeth? I think Elizabeth's gaining weight. I think Elizabeth's pregnant. What? How'd that happen? I mean, okay, society has changed a lot. But society has not changed a lot. You see what I'm saying? So maybe Elizabeth was like, I'm gonna stay hidden because I don't wanna deal with the questions. Well, what happened? Because maybe she was like embarrassed. I don't know. I don't know. But I know what we see in scripture that she, was, she kept herself hidden for five months. Can I tell you something? God's promises are not just for you. God's promises go beyond you and go beyond your circumstances because you become the display of God's faithfulness. God just didn't show up and send Gabriel to Zechariah and say, hey, you're gonna have a son. I know you've been praying for a child and you're gonna have a son. You're welcome. Enjoy. No, no, no. The promise for this child, you are going to have a son, Zechariah, and he is gonna come in the power of the prophet Elijah and he is gonna prepare the way. He's gonna prepare the hearts of the nation of Israel. He's gonna prepare people to receive the coming Messiah. Now, if they would have kept that promise for themselves, think about what had happened. But God's promises are too big for you to contain, for me to contain. We have to get them out. I mean, it's the same thing, the light of Christ in us. We're the light of the world. We don't put it under, under a bucket. We put it on a stand so that it can provide light to all who see it. The promises of God are true today, just as true today as they were for Zechariah. And the truth is also that they are for the purpose of God in the world and the work of God in the world, not just for us. I mean, too many times we, we, get, we get very preschool, we get very selfish with the promise of God. Oh, just look what God's given me, and this is my thing, and my thing only. And we get threatened when somebody else starts to get close to that promise. Understand that God's promises are for more than just us. Look at the promise that is happening through this birth announcement that He's going to prepare the way for Jesus. He's preparing the way for the promise of salvation. He's preparing the way for the promise of hope. He's preparing the promise of reconciliation. 
and God is fulfilling his promises to us, you and I have received the promise of salvation because the faithfulness of Zechariah and Elizabeth to share John. And John prepared the way for Jesus and Jesus was born. And Jesus lived a sinless life as the son of God. He walked a hill called Calvary. He gave his life on the cross. He was laid in a borrowed tomb and on the third day, he walked victoriously holding the promise to life. And how do we respond to that? Our response is humility because there's a promise of salvation in your life and there's a promise of hope and there's a promise of presence and there's a promise of provision. But they only come when we humble ourselves and say, God, I'm here to receive your promise. How are you gonna respond? Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your promises because they are true. And Father, I love that, that you are faithful to us. I thank you for this promise that you gave Zechariah and Elizabeth that impacts us this morning. And so I thank you for everything that came through that. Because through that, we can have redemption, we can have reconciliation. Father, I pray that there's a response to the promise of salvation. You you told us that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I ask you to give courage to that person in the room this morning that's calling out to you, saying, Jesus, I, I need you in my life. I'm laying all of me down for all of you. I'm bringing you my mess. I'm bringing you my good, my bad, my ugly. I'm bringing it all, God. And I'm laying it at your feet and I'm asking for your life, for mine. I'm asking you to forgive me. God, I just pray as you pour out that courage, they just receive that promise of grace to those who humble themselves and ask they receive that promise of salvation to all who call up out your name. And Father, keep us in your promises. Help us in our unbelief. When we go through it, help us in our unbelief, God. And keep our eyes focused on you, not just on our circumstances. And help us to be faithful to share the promise of God in our life It's going to change other lives as well. We love you and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.